0: The Old Curiosity Shop, chapter sixty two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Phillipone. The Old Curiosity Shop, by Charles Dickens. Chapter sixty two. A faint light, twinkling from the window of the counting-house on Quilp's Wharf, and looking inflamed and red through the night fog, as though it suffered from it like an eye, forewarned Mr. Sampson Brass, as he approached the wooden cabin with a cautious step, that the excellent proprietor, his esteemed client, was inside, and probably waiting with his accustomed patience and sweetness of temper, the fulfilment of the appointment which now brought Mr. Brass within his fair domain. "'A treacherous place to pick one's steps in, of a dark night,' muttered Samson, as he stumbled for the twentieth time over some stray lumber and limped in pain. "'I believe that boy strews the ground differently every day, on purpose to bruise and maim one, unless his master does it with his own hands, which is more than likely. "'I hate to come to this place without Sally. She's more protective than a dozen men.' As he paid this compliment to the merit of the absent charmer, Mr. Brass came to a halt, looking doubtfully towards the light and over his shoulder. "'What's he about, I wonder?' murmured the lawyer, standing on tiptoe and endeavouring to obtain a glimpse of what was passing inside, which at that distance was impossible. Drinking, I suppose. Making himself fiery and furious and heating his malice and mischievousness till they boil. I'm always afraid to come here by myself when his account's a pretty large one.' "'I don't believe he'd mind throttling me, and dropping me softly into the river when the tide was at its strongest, any more than he'd mind killing a rat. Indeed, I don't know whether he wouldn't consider it a pleasant joke. Hark! Now he's singing!' Mr. Quilp was certainly entertaining himself with vocal exercise, but it was rather a kind of chant than a song, being a monotonous repetition of one sentence in a very rapid manner, with a long stress upon the last word, which he swelled into a dismal roar.' nor did the burden of this performance bear any reference to love or war or wine or loyalty or any other the standard topics of song but to a subject not often set to music or generally known in ballads the words being these The worthy magistrate, after remarking that the prisoner would find some difficulty in persuading a jury to believe his tale, committed him to take his trial at the approaching sessions, and directed the customary recognizances to be entered into for the prosecution. Every time he came to this concluding word, and had exhausted all possible stress upon it, Quilp burst into a shriek of laughter and began again. "'He's dreadfully imprudent,' muttered Brass, as he had listened to two or three repetitions of the chant. "'Horribly imprudent. I wish he was dumb. I wish he was deaf. I wish he was blind. "'Hang him!' cried Brass, as the chant began again. "'I wish he was dead.' Giving utterance to these friendly aspirations on behalf of his client, Mr. Sampson composed his face into its usual state of smoothness, and, waiting until the shriek came again and was dying away, Went up to the wooden house and knocked on the door. Come in, cried the dwarf. How do you do tonight, sir? said Samson, peeping in. Ha, ha ha. How do you do, sir? Oh dear me, how very whimsical, amazingly whimsical to be sure. Come in, you fool, returned the dwarf, and don't stand there shaking your head and showing your teeth. Come in, you false witness, you perjurer, you suborner of evidence. Come in he has the richest humour cried brass shutting the door behind him the most amazing vein of comicality but isn't it rather injudicious sir what demanded quilp what judas judas cried brass he has such extraordinary spirits his humour is so extremely playful judas oh yes dear me how very good <laughs> All this time Samson was rubbing his hands and staring, with ludicrous surprise and dismay, at a great goggle-eyed, blunt-nosed figurehead of some old ship, which was reared up against the wall in a corner near the stove, looking like a goblin or hideous idol whom the dwarf worshipped a mass of timber on its head carved into the dim and distant semblance of a cocked hat together with a representation of a star on the left breast and epaulettes on the shoulders denoting that it was intended for the effigy of some famous admiral but without those helps any observer might have supposed it the authentic portrait of a distinguished merman or great sea-monster being originally much too large for the apartment which it was now employed to decorate it had been sawn short off at the waist Even in this state it reached from floor to ceiling, and thrusting itself forward with that excessively wide-awake aspect, and air of somewhat obtrusive politeness by which figureheads are usually characterised, seemed to reduce everything else to mere pygmy proportions. "'Do you know it?' said Dwarf, watching Sampson's eyes. "'Do you see the likeness?' "'Eh?' said Brass, holding his head on one side and throwing it a little back, as connoisseurs do. Now I look at it again, I fancy I see a—yes, there certainly is something in the smile that reminds me of—and yet, upon my word, I—' Now, the fact was that Sampson, having never seen anything in the smallest degree resembling this substantial phantom, was much perplexed, being uncertain whether Mr. Quilp considered it like himself, and had therefore bought it for a family portrait, or whether he was pleased to consider it as the likeness of some enemy. He was not very long in doubt, for while he was surveying it with that knowing look which people assume when they are contemplating for the first time portraits which they ought to recognise but don't, the dwarf threw down the newspaper from which he had been chanting the words already quoted, and seizing a rusty iron bar which he used in lieu of poker, dealt the figure such a stroke on the nose that it rocked again. "'Is it like Kit? Is it his picture, his image, his very self?' cried the dwarf, aiming a shower of blows at the insensible countenance and covering it with deep dimples. "'Is it the exact model and counterpart of the dog? Is it, is it, is it?' And with every repetition of the question he battered the great image, until the perspiration streamed down his face with the violence of the exercise. Although this might have been a very comical thing to look at from a secure gallery, as a bullfight is found to be a comfortable spectacle by those who are not in the arena, and a house on fire is better than a play to people who don't live near it, there was something in the earnestness of Mr. Quilp's manner which made his legal adviser feel that the counting-house was a little too small, and a deal too lonely, for the complete enjoyment of these humours. Therefore he stood as far off as he could, while the dwarf was thus engaged, whimpering out but feeble applause, and when Quilp left off and sat down again from pure exhaustion, approached with more obsequiousness than ever.' excellent indeed cried brass (laughs) oh very good sir you know said sampson looking round as if in appeal to the bruised animal he's quite a remarkable man quite sit down said the dwarf i bought the dog yesterday i've been screwing gimlets into him and sticking forks in his eyes and cutting my name on him i mean to burn him at last (laughs) ha ha cried brass extremely entertaining indeed come here said quilp beckoning him to draw near what's injudicious hey eh? nothing sir nothing scarcely worth mentioning sir but i thought that song admirably humorous in itself you know was perhaps rather yes said quilp rather what just bordering as one may say remotely verging upon the confines of injudiciousness perhaps sir returned brass looking timidly at the dwarf's cunning eyes which were turned towards the fire and reflected its red light why inquired quilp without looking up "'Why, you know, sir,' returned Brass, venturing to be more familiar, "'the fact is, sir, that any allusion to these little combinings together of friends for objects in themselves extremely laudable, "'but which the law terms conspiracies are, you take me, sir, best kept snug and among friends, you know?' "'Eh?' said Quilp, looking up with a perfectly vacant countenance. "'What do you mean?' "'Cautious, exceedingly cautious, very right and proper,' cried Brass, nodding his head. "'Mum, sir, even here. My meaning, sir, exactly.' "'Your meaning, exactly, you brazen scarecrow. What's your meaning?' retorted Quilp. "'Why do you talk to me of combining together? Do I combine? Do I know anything about your combinings?' "'No, no, sir, certainly not. Not by any means,' returned Brass.' "'If you so wink and nod at me,' said the dwarf, looking about him as if for his poker, "'I'll spoil the expression of your monkey's face, I will.' "'Don't put yourself out of the way, I beg, sir,' rejoined Brass, checking himself with great alacrity. "'You're quite right, sir, quite right. I shouldn't have mentioned the subject, sir. It's much better not to. You're quite right, sir. Let us change it, if you please. You were asking, sir, Sally told me, about our lodger. He has not returned, sir.' "'No,' said Quilp, heating some rum in a little saucepan, and watching it to prevent its boiling over. "'Why not?' "'Why, sir,' returned Brass, he uh, dear me, Mr. Quilp, sir—' "'What's the matter?' said the dwarf, stopping his hand in the act of carrying the saucepan to his mouth. "'You have forgotten the water, sir,' said Brass. "'And—excuse me, sir, but it's burning hot.' deigning no other than a practical answer to this remonstrance mr quilp raised the hot saucepan to his lips and deliberately drank off all the spirit it contained which might have been in quantity about half a pint and had been but a moment before when he took it off the fire bubbling and hissing fiercely having swallowed the gentle stimulant and shaken his fist at the admiral he bade mr brass proceed but first said quilp with his accustomed grin have a drop yourself a nice drop a good warm fiery drop why sir replied brass if there was such a thing as a mouthful of water that could be got without trouble there is no such thing to be had here cried the dwarf water for lawyers melted lead and brimstone you mean nice hot blistering pitch and tar that's the thing for them eh brass eh (laughs) laughed mr brass oh very biting and yet it's like being tickled there's a pleasure in it too sir drink that said the dwarf who had by this time heated some more toss it off don't leave any heel taps scorch your throat and be happy the wretched Samson took a few short sips of the liquor, which immediately distilled itself into burning tears, and in that form came rolling down his cheeks into the pipkin again, turning the colour of his face and eyelids to a deep red, and giving rise to a violent fit of coughing, in the midst of which he was still heard to declare, with the constancy of a martyr, that it was beautiful indeed. While he was yet in unspeakable agonies, the dwarf renewed their conversation. "'The lodger,' said Quilp, "'what about him?' he is still sir returned brass with intervals of coughing stopping with the garland family he has only been home once sir since the day of the examination of that culprit he informed mr richard sir that he couldn't bear the house after what had taken place that he was wretched in it and that he looked upon himself as being in a certain kind of way the cause of the occurrence a very excellent lodger sir i hope we may not lose him yeah cried the dwarf never thinking of anybody but yourself "'Why don't you retrench, then? Scrape up, hoard, economise, eh?' "'Why, sir,' replied Brass, "'upon my word, I think Sarah's as good an economizer as any going. "'I do indeed, Mr. Quilp.' "'Moisten your clay, wet the other eye. Drink, man!' cried the dwarf. "'You took a clerk to oblige me.' "'Delighted, sir, I am sure, at any time,' replied Sampson. "'Yes, sir, uh, I did.' "'Then now you may discharge him,' said Quilp. "'There's a means of retrenchment for you at once.' discharge mr richard sir cried brass have you no more than one clerk you pair, that you asked the question yes upon my word sir said brass i wasn't prepared for this how could you be sneered the dwarf when i wasn't how often am i to tell you that i brought him to you that i might always have my eye on him and know where he was and that i had a plot a scheme a little quiet piece of enjoyment afoot to which the very cream in essence was that this old man and grandchild who have sunk underground, i think should be while he and his precious friend believed them rich in reality as poor as frozen rats i quite understood that sir rejoined brass thoroughly "'Well, sir,' retorted Quilp, "'and do you understand now that they're not poor, "'that they can't be, if they have such men as your lodger "'searching for them and scouring the country far and wide?' "'Of course I do, sir,' said Sampson. "'Of course you do,' retorted the dwarf, "'viciously snapping at his words. "'Of course do you understand them "'that it's no matter what comes of this fellow. "'Of course do you understand that for any other purpose "'he's no man for me nor for you.' i have frequently said so to sarah sir returned brass that he was of no use at all in the business you can't put any confidence in him sir if you'll believe me i've found that fellow in the commonest little matters of the office that have been trusted to him blurting out the truth though expressly cautioned the aggravation of that chap sir has exceeded anything you can imagine it has indeed nothing but the respect and obligation i owe to you sir As it was plain that Samson was bent on a complimentary harangue, unless he received a timely interruption, Mr. Quilp politely tapped him on the crown of the head with the little saucepan, and requested that he would be so obliging as to hold his peace. "'Practical, sir, practical,' said Brass, rubbing the place and smiling, "'but still extremely pleasant, immensely so.' "'Hearken to me, will you,' returned Quilp, "'or I'll be a little more pleasant presently.' there's no chance of his comrade and friend returning a scamp has been obliged to fly as i learn for some knavery and has found his way abroad let him rot there certainly sir quite proper forcible cried brass glancing at the admiral again as if he made a third in company extremely forcible i hate him said quilp between his teeth and have always hated him for family reasons besides he was an intractable ruffian otherwise he would have been of use this fellow is pigeon-hearted and light-headed i don't want him any longer let him hang or drown starve go to the devil by all means sir returned brass when would you wish him sir to uh, to make that little excursion when this trial's over said quilp as soon as that's ended send him about his business it shall be done sir returned brass by all means It will be rather a blow to Sarah, sir, but she has all her feelings under control. Ah, Mr. Quilp, I often think, sir, if it had only pleased Providence to bring you and Sarah together in earlier life, what blessed result would have flowed from such a union? You never saw our dear father, sir, a charming gentleman. Sarah was his pride and joy, sir. He would have closed his eyes in bliss, would Foxy, Mr. Quilp, if he could have found her such a partner. You esteem her, sir?' "'I love her,' croaked the dwarf.' you're very good sir returned brass i am sure is there any other order, sir that i can take a note of besides this little matter of mr richard none replied the dwarf seizing the saucepan let us drink the lovely sarah if we could do it in something sir that wasn't quite boiling suggested brass humbly perhaps it would be better i think it will be more agreeable to sarah's feelings when she comes to hear from me of the honour that you have done her if she learns it was in liquor rather cooler than the last sir but to these remonstrances mr quilp turned a deaf ear samson brass who was by this time anything but sober being compelled to take further draughts of the same strong bowl found that instead of at all contributing to his recovery they had the novel effect of making the counting-house spin round and round with extreme velocity and causing the floor and ceiling to heave in a very distressing manner after a brief stupor he awoke to a consciousness of being partly under the table and partly under the grate this position not being the most comfortable one he could have chosen for himself he managed to stagger to his feet and holding on by the admiral looked round for his host mr brass's first impression was that his host was gone and had left him there alone perhaps locked him in for the night a strong smell of tobacco however suggested a new train of ideas he looked upward and saw that the dwarf was smoking in his habit good-bye sir cried brass faintly good-bye sir won't you stop all night said the dwarf peeping out do stop all night i couldn't indeed sir replied brass who was almost dead from nausea and the closeness of the room if you'd have the good to show me a light so that i may see my way across the yard sir quilk was out in an instant not with his legs first or his head first or his arms first but bodily altogether to be sure he said taking up a lantern which was now the only light in the place be careful how you go my dear friend be sure to pick your way among the timber for all the rusty nails are upwards there's a dog in the lane he bit a man last night and a woman the night before and last tuesday he killed a child but that was in play don't go too near him which side of the road is he sir asked brass in great dismay he lives on the right hand said quilp but sometimes he hides on the left ready for a spring He's uncertain in that respect. Mind you, take care of yourself. I'll never forgive you if you don't. There's the light of—never mind, you know the way. Straight on!' Quilp had slyly shaded the light by holding it against his breast, and now stood chuckling and shaking from head to foot in a rapture of delight, as he heard the lawyer stumbling up the yard, and now and then falling heavily down. At length, however, he got quit of the place, and was out of hearing. The dwarf shut himself up again, and sprang once more into his hammock. End of chapter 62